All right, well, we're going live, everybody. We're uh, gonna give a few minutes for folks to come and join us. Hi, Katie. Hi, Madeline. <laughs> we're still, still waiting for folks to tune in. <laughs> hey, Gary. Welcome. While we wait for everybody to join, I'm gonna um, play some music, I think, for a little prelude here. This'll be, um, this is a song called uh, Christ, Our Hope in Life and Death, and it's gonna be our um, song for Easter that we're gonna sing, so this is a, this is a warm up. got a few a uh, few more folks still joining us but I'll uh, I'll start by praying here and then uh, got a few announcements and then we'll we'll go to a time of singing so let's let's pray father I thank you so much for this day thank you for um, each one who has joined us and will join us and um, Lord for those who may watch after I just pray that you would continue to uh, be with us during this um, this global crisis that is uh, keeping so many of us um, just on our knees praying to you and also um, just wondering what what the future holds. Lord, I thank you so much that through Jesus, our futures are certain. I thank you so much we serve a king who is alive, who beat death, and who is coming again. Lord, we have a hope through Christ, and I thank you so much for that. Lord, I pray that uh, you would bring us all um, back together again, face to face, in the very new, near future. But in the meantime, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to, to connect uh, over our phones and over the internet. Lord, I pray that you bless each one now as they're tuning in. And uh, Father, be with us as we worship you this morning. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Alrighty. So, um, just wanted to start off this morning with a few announcements. Uh, this week, we have uh, several things planned. Thursday night, um, I think at 7, we're, we're just going to do a, a short Zoom, um, just to check in, see how everybody's doing. And so, if you're free to tune in for that, I'll send out the link later this week. And we'll we'll zoom together and uh, so we're zoom together, but uh, we'll we'll talk about um, just how everyone's doing and then and close with a time of prayer, and then Friday evening, uh, Brian and I will be going live um, from the building with a uh, Good Friday sermon. Brian will be preaching, and that'll be about an hour. So um, we'll we'll send out more about that, but hopefully you can tune in to the Good Friday service, and that's going to be joint with Adamsville. Baptist Church, and we may even pair with them that they might try to do some music before. I, I don't know. We, we have, we're still trying to figure it all out. So uh, stay tuned for that. And um, after our Good Friday service, of course, we have our Easter service. And 
Uh, stay tuned for that as well. Uh, Holly was wondering if we could uh, we could do a idea. She had this idea. What if we did like a drive up service or something? And some people could tune in live from home, but if some people wanted to drive to our house and roll down their windows, and I could preach out in the yard. I don't know. We're we're just toying. I know some churches have done that, so we're just thinking through what can we do to make uh, Resurrection Sunday um, special. It is a special day. And so be praying for us as, as leadership as we toss around ideas. Um, so with that, uh, let's let's sing together. If you want, if you're not watching on your phone, you could look up the song, Christ Our, Only, Christ Our Hope in Life and Death. This is a song that was written uh, just a few weeks ago. Um, and it's written in light of the, the current crisis we're in, uh, reminding us what our hope as Christians is in life and death. So... I will, um, I'll play it and sing it. Holly's going to join me, and uh, then we'll sing the song Light of the World, and you can sing um, along as well wherever you're at. <clears throat> Come on. 
the next song we're going to sing, we're going to have the kids come up here and uh, help us out. This is our song of the month as a church. Um, each week, we or each month, our church picks a song to have be our, our song of the month. So this one will be Light of the World or Here I Am to Worship. So we'll, again, if you know this song and you're in your home, I encourage you to, to sing along with us. And uh, may this song be a song that gets stuck in your head through the week, that no matter how dark the darkness, Jesus is the light of the world, and that one day um, he will come again and banish darkness forever. So let's, let's sing together, Light of the World. <clears throat> time of, uh, of prayer now before we look at the word together. Father, I thank you so much that Jesus came to be the light of the world. Father, we feel the darkness all around us. We see the fear. We see the anger. We see hopelessness. We see pain. We see suffering. But as Christians, we smell the resurrection wherever we look. And we thank you so much for our resurrected and reigning Christ. We thank you so much for the promise of his return. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would come soon. And I pray, Father, that you would be with us now as we look at your word, that your Holy Spirit be, would be working in our hearts and in my heart as I speak. Lord, I pray that we would, um, we would marvel once again at Jesus and who he is and what he came to do for us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Alrighty. I'm gonna get my notes. Well, welcome everyone again if you're just joining us um, for our worship. We are um, celebrating Palm Sunday. So this is uh, um, the first kickoff, I guess you would say, to um, what Christians often call Holy Week, which is the, the, the last week of Jesus's life on earth before he died and, and then rose again. So it's the week that all four of the Gospels in the New Testament, they, they treat it as the, the climax of their, their Gospels. The, it's it's the point where each gospel is headed towards, and this this last week of Jesus's life is is where all the gospels actually spend the most time. Um, if you just do a word count, it's it's this this um, the gospels spend an incredible amount of time on the last week of Jesus's life, and this last week is where Jesus is ultimately uh, enthroned as the king of Israel. So why do they spend the most time on this last week? It's because this last week is where Jesus gets enthroned as king. But it's not the way that everyone is expecting. Jesus is enthroned as king, not on a golden throne in Jerusalem, but instead he's lifted up high and lifted up on a bloody cross his crown is a crown of thorns. His robe is a purple robe stained in blood, which is then stripped from him. Our king dies and then defeats death by resurrection. He reigns from a cross. And so that's what all the gospels are, are gearing us up for. And, and then they bring us to the last week of Jesus's life. And so we celebrate this week um, as a, as Christians all over the world, as an extra special week, um, really every Sunday is a Resurrection Sunday. Uh, but we, man, we we really focus on this week to remind ourselves of the last week of Jesus. And so we call this week Palm Sunday. This Sunday, the Sunday <clears throat> before Resurrection Sunday is Palm Sunday, and it's the Sunday that Jesus entered into Jerusalem to begin this last week. So. Let's read about it now from the Gospel of Matthew. You can turn there if you'd like. Matthew chapter 21, verses 1 to 11. Matthew 21, 1 to 11. And as before, I've got my notes over here and the, the camera over here, so you'll see me looking back and forth. Uh, so Matthew 21, 1 to 11. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter Zion, See, your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey." The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet, from Nazareth in Galilee. All right, so this morning, I'm going to walk us through these verses in three steps. Okay, first, we're going to talk a little bit about the setting of the grand entry that Jesus is making. So I'll try to set the stage uh, for 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 helping us picture what's going on here. So we'll look at the setting. Second, we'll look at the suspense. You can almost feel the suspense in the air as you read this story. Um, the suspense, the Jews, they know something big is about to happen or they think something big is about to happen. And then third, we're gonna look at the significance of Jesus's actions here in the passage. So the setting, the suspense, and the significance of what's going on. And we'll close with uh, a couple words of application. 
So first, the setting for our story. In the setting this morning, Jesus and his disciples, as I mentioned earlier, they are headed into the capital city of Israel, the city of Jerusalem. And the reason that they're headed for Jerusalem right now is the reason, the same reason that many, many other uh, Jewish people at that time were going to Jerusalem. They were all going to celebrate the great festival, the Jewish festival of Passover. And these Passover festivities, they would begin Sunday and then they would continue to the end of the week when all these Passover lambs were sacrificed and eaten by, by families all over, and then they'd observe the Sabbath on the Saturday at the end of the week, and, and their celebration would be over. So this Passover celebration that everybody's going to celebrate in Jerusalem, it was a celebration of God's great act of salvation or deliverance uh, from his people Israel so long ago when he freed them from slavery in Egypt. And you can read about that in the book of Exodus, in chapter 12 especially, but that whole uh, section of Exodus. And so at this moment, again, you have hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims traveling from all over the ancient world to their, their capital city in Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. Historians who study the period, they think that there may even have been over 2 million people there. And this, that was a huge swelling of the size. And of course, they didn't all fit in Jerusalem, so they would camp all over the, the countryside. And so there's a, a huge crowd. Many would come a week early to purify themselves and get themselves ready for the Passover. And so you, here in our passage, we've got Jesus in a nearby town in Bethphage on the Mount of Olives near Jerusalem. And He's getting ready to enter the city, and there's people everywhere, okay? Now, another important piece to this story is that Israel is not a free nation. Remember, the Passover was this great celebration of freedom from slavery to Egypt. Well, Israel, because of their ongoing sins against the Lord, Israel had become slaves again. They were slaves of the nation of Rome. They served Rome. And in this time of Passover, when you had a m massive crowds everywhere, anything could happen. And so uh, the, the Romans were actually on high alert at this time. They would up their patrols, walking through the city streets, making sure things weren't getting too crazy and that the Jewish people didn't get any crazy ideas about overthrowing their rulers. So, um, there's another thing that I want to talk about in the setting as well that is, is really, you know, right there in the story, an important piece of the story. Jesus, he sends a couple disciples. You see that in verse 3? Um, they, they go into the village to get a young colt for Jesus to ride on. Now, we'll talk about the significance of why a colt, why, why is Jesus doing this in, in point 3 of this message this morning. But for now, I just want to have you picture what, what's happening in your mind as Jesus is doing this. He, send, he sends the disciples into a nearby town to get, get a colt that's tied up with its mom. He says, untie them and bring them to me. And then in verse 3, he says, if anyone says anything to you, say, the Lord needs them, and he will send them back right away. Now, is this an example where Jesus is just forcefully borrowing something? Like, I need this. You don't really have a choice in the matter. Um, I mean, imagine if two people show up at my house tomorrow and my, my keys are usually in my car. Um, so uh, imagine they show up and all of a sudden I, I see two guys starting to drive away with my car. And I'm like, uh, guys, where are you going with my car? And imagine they say um, basically what the disciples said. The boss needs it. Um, and he'll send it back. Like, Who's this boss? Who's this Lord, this master that you're talking about? And why does he want my car? Okay, I, I don't think that's what's going on here. Um, I think what Jesus has done is he's planned this ahead of time. He, maybe weeks, maybe months before, found somebody whose donkey was going to give birth to um, a, uh, a colt around Passover time. And he said, hey, listen, could I borrow this? I'm going to need this. 
come Passover. Now, the, the point, and perhaps what the disciples were to say was the Lord needs it, was this prearranged password. When guys come to your house and start taking this donkey um, and you ask them, what's going on? And they say, oh, the Lord needs it. You go, oh, now it's the time. And he'll send it back. He'll send it back. So again, this is most likely a prearranged thing. And that's actually significant because what it shows is that nothing about this is arbitrary. Jesus has planned this weeks, months in advance. Okay, This was his plan for all along to ride into the capital city on a donkey. Jesus is totally in control of everything that is happening. That's the point here. He, he's controlling the whole situation. This is his plan. There's a reason he hasn't been crucified before now. He's been waiting and waiting for this Passover event. We'll talk about that more in a minute. So that's the setting. Now the second point we want to talk about more briefly is the, the suspense that you feel in the air. Um, have you ever been in suspense about something? I mean, right now, I think most people around the world are in suspense, okay? I know I'm in suspense. What's going to happen in our country? What's going to happen in our world? When can I go out freely in public again? Something will happen, right? I mean, what will it be? Nobody knows. We don't know. So we can be in suspense about the unknown future, but we can also be in suspense about something we've planned and we know is going to happen. Like my wedding, right? I was in suspense, a great deal of excitement in the days and weeks leading up to what people call the big day. And so right now, as Jesus is starting to ride his, his donkey, the colt, into Jerusalem, the crowds around him, they're filled with suspense. They're filled with suspense about something that they hope will happen when Jesus enters Jerusalem. As I mentioned before, the Jews, they're slaves right now. They're in servitude to the Roman Empire. And in the writings of their prophets, recorded all throughout our Old Testament, the Bible, there were many prophecies about how one day in the future, God would come to his people again through a specially anointed, a spirit-anointed king who had been descended from the line of David. And these prophets, they said again and again that this Messiah, this anointed king, would come from God and he would defeat the enemies of God's people, all of them, and that he would reign forever on King David's throne in a, a renewed and restored city of Jerusalem. And he wouldn't just rule over Israel, he would rule over all the earth, and that his reign would be from sea to sea. Now, we don't have time today to go into the details of these prophecies. I mean, they're everywhere. You can't, I couldn't, even, it's not even worth picking one out. They're all over the place. And, and it's not worth, we don't have any time to go into them and show how Jesus specifically will fulfill these prophecies someday, a future day, when he comes, bringing the new heavens and the new earth and a new Jerusalem to earth one day. And when he rules one day from sea to shining sea, we, we will see that. That is, that is future okay? That will still happen. It's still future for us. Jesus will fulfill that. But these Jews, they're in suspense, and they're, they're expecting that that's going to happen right then and right there. That God would set up his earthly kingdom, that the enemies of God and God's people, all evil would be dealt with, and that Jesus would rule. And so they thought this was about to happen. And what better time than Passover week? On the week that they were celebrating God's mighty saving exodus event. It's like God freed us from slavery in Egypt many, many years ago. And now he's sent a king to free us again from slavery to Rome. And so they're, they're just pumped. And notice how they're treating Jesus as he's riding in. They're treating him like a king. They're waving palm branches in the air. This was a symbol of victory and triumph. You wave palm branches when your team beat the other team. In this, this case, the people are waving palm branches 
already. They're so certain that Jesus is the victorious king that they're, they're already celebrating. It's like a victory march here. And they're putting their coats on the road to protect the horse's hoofs from hitting the dust. It's a sign of, of respect that people would give only to the greatest of kings. And so, that's point two. There's a lot of suspense about what's going to happen when Jesus enters Jerusalem. This moves now to the third thing I want to talk about this morning, the, the significance of what's, what Jesus is doing here. Okay? There's what the people think that he's doing, and then there's the significance of what he's actually doing. So first, look, at me, look with me, if you would, at what the people are saying in verse 9. They're saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Notice here that the, the cries of Hosanna, they surround the phrase, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's really significant here. That it comes from a this this phrase, it comes from a song of salvation in the Hebrew Bible. It comes from Psalm 118. And and this psalm, it comes at the end of a group of psalms in the Bible. It's called the Hallel Psalms. Psalm 113 to Psalm 118 were a group of psalms celebrating, clustered together celebrating Israel's release from Egypt, their deliverance from slavery in Egypt. And when were they sung? Well, shouldn't be a surprise. They were most often sung at Passover. So right here, they're quoting from a psalm that comes at the very end of these psalms that were sung at Passover. And the psalm is a celebration of God's saving power. It's, it's encouraging in Psalm 118. You could turn there if you'd like or read it afterwards. It's, all of Israel in Psalm 118 is being encouraged to give thanks to the Lord for he is good, the psalmist says. His love endures forever. And the reason that he's good, the reason that his love endures is because he's a good and loving savior and he saves Israel from their enemies. And so in the psalm, God, how does he save? Well, he saves in the psalm through a blessed one who comes in his name, who will enter the righteous gates of Jerusalem in the name of the Lord. That's all in the psalm. And, and so as the people are singing, they're singing the, the, near the end of the psalm. They're singing verse 26. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're surrounding it with cries of Hosanna, which basically means save Please, it's basically uh, um, what Psalm 118.25 says, Lord, save us. So they're, they're crying out, Lord, save us through the blessed one who comes in your name, who's riding on a donkey, and he's about to enter the righteous gates of Jerusalem. Now, in the psalm, there's so many things that we could talk about that Jesus fulfills. But I just, I just want to mention one. At the end of the psalm, the psalmist writes, The Lord is God, and he has made his light shine upon us. That's the end of the psalm there. With bows in hand, with bows in hand, join in the festal procession, the festive procession, up to the horns of the altar. The altar would be in the temple, the temple of Israel. So, once again, Psalm 18 is the blueprint for what's going on here. In Matthew 21... The people, along with Jesus, they're like reenacting this psalm. Their boughs are in their hands, okay? They're palm branches. And they're blessing Jesus and, and crying out for him to save them as they enter into the righteous gates of the city of Jerusalem. And, and where does Jesus go and immediately after entering those gates? If you have Matthew open, look at verse 12. You can just look at the heading right there. Jesus goes straight to the temple. He does this in all the Gospels, just like in the Psalm. When they enter the gates, they go to the temple. But when Jesus gets to the temple, what does he do? He throws the tables over. He drives out the people that have made this house of worship into a, a marketplace where there's, the money changers are, are um, 
dealing dishonestly with foreign currency. Uh, oh, you want to sacrifice? That'll cost you this. And it, it, it's, it's become a, a den of robbers, says Jesus. It's supposed to be a house of prayer, and they've made it a den of robbers. Jesus comes, and he deals with God's enemies, all right. But it's Israel, not the Romans. And it's their sin. Their sin. That's the problem. And Jesus goes straight to the temple. Just like the prophet Malachi said, the Lord who you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And what is he going to be like when he comes? Oh, he's going to bring us victory. No, he's going to be like a refiner's fire. And he will purify the sons of Levi. Jesus comes in and he says, you are steeped in sin. I'm here to purify. And then in Matthew 21, near, um, we, we see that when he's in the temple, what does he do? People are coming to him with their sicknesses and with their diseases, and he's healing them. He's bringing healing from the temple. So, again, the temple has become a hub of activity that God hates. And so what is God going to do when the building that's supposed to be the place where people go to have their sins forgiven becomes filled with sin? He replaces it. Jesus is going to replace the temple with his own body. He's about to replace the sacrifices made there with his own sacrifice for sin. Jesus is going to go to the cross to become the place that you go to get your sins forgiven, not the temple. And the psalm itself predicts this. Psalm 118, verse 22. Jesus quotes this later in Matthew 21, verse 42. The psalm, Psalm 118 says, The stone that the builders rejected becomes the cornerstone. Again, there is so much here in the psalm that we could unpack to help you see exactly how this is working in other passages, especially in Isaiah 8, where um, we just can't go there. We don't have time to go there. Uh, but just know that this stone that the builders rejected is a reference to Jesus. The Messiah is compared to a stone all over the Bible. The book of Daniel, chapter 2, he's, he's this stone this, this mighty stone. And he's going to come and the builders, those who built the temple, the peace of people of Israel are going to reject this stone. But he's going to become the cornerstone, the cornerstone of a new temple where people go to have their sins forgiven. So again, the mighty king, they're crying, they're saying, blessed is the name of the Lord. And, and they're, they're waiting for salvation, deliverance from their enemies. And Jesus goes right to the temple and says, this is the problem. You've got sin sin at the core of your nation in the temple and i'm going to deal with that and i'm going to replace the temple i'm going to become the place where you go to for healing he's sitting in the temple healing people he's where you go for forgiveness and healing so that's the first thing i want you to see with the significance of the story that there, there's a great significance in why in in psalm 118 but it's not exactly what the people think and then Jesus is riding a donkey. Why? A colt, the foal of the donkey. Well, that comes from Zechariah, another prophet. Chapter 9. Zechariah 9. Now, unpacking all of what's going on in Zechariah, it would take a whole sermon series on the book of Zechariah, and someday I hope to do that. But right now, we'll just scratch the surface, just like we did with Psalm 118. Listen to these verses from Zechariah 9, verses 9 to 10. Zechariah says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. That's a reference to, to Jerusalem, the daughter of the heavenly city. Jo Shout in triumph, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold. Why? Why, are, why should you get excited? Your king is coming to you. He is just, a just ruler, a good king, endowed with salvation. He's a savior. And he's humble, mounted on a donkey even on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So this is what's happening. Jesus is riding in as the king of Zechariah 9 on a colt. And the people know it. They know their Bibles and they're celebrating. And as we continue to read through Zechariah 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, all of a sudden in Zechariah, we, we, we learn more about this king and about what God is going to do for his people through this king. And one thing that's obvious that shows up again and again 
must have added, again, to the people's excitement. God's going to defeat his enemies. When this king comes, the enemies of God's people are going to defeat them, be defeated. And when God defeats his enemies in Zechariah 9, 10, 12, he's going to ultimately bring peace to all the nations of the earth. Zechariah 9 verse 10 says, He will speak peace. This king will speak peace to the nations. And Zechariah says that in this day of worldwide peace, God would be king over all the earth. And so, I, again, I hope that you can see why the people were really excited about Jesus coming on a donkey. They think, this is it. God's come as king to defeat our enemies and to bring the reign of God over all the earth and to spread peace from shore to shore. But in the book of Zechariah, all these prophecies of victory and worldwide peace, they are not the only promises that God makes when he talks about what will happen when he comes to earth as king. All of these promises of victory, they blend together with a host of other things that will take place when the king comes on the great day of the Lord that Zechariah keeps talking about. And the really tricky thing as you read through Zechariah is that he doesn't give us an exact timeline for all of these things, but he does tell us they will happen. Yes, God does say that he will deliver his people from his enemies. And yes, God does say that this king will bring peace on earth one day. But all of that will not happen until other things in Zechariah come true. For example... Yahweh himself is valued at only 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah chapter 11, verse 13. Remember how much money Jesus is betrayed for by Judas? 30 pieces of silver. And Jesus shares his identity with Yahweh. They value the Lord himself at 30 pieces of silver. And the victory that's coming, it will not come before Yahweh himself is pierced by his own people in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. Zechariah 12, verse 10 says, They will look on me, on him whom they have pierced. And this great victory over God's enemies, it will not come before the great shepherd of Israel is struck in Zechariah 13, verse 7, so that a, a cleansing from sin can be opened to Israel and to all the nations. That's Zechariah 13, verse 1. So, again, there is a lot more going on in Zechariah than what the people of Israel see as they're waving their palm branches. They think, king on donkey, victory over our enemies. But their celebration is premature. They want a strong king to come and save them from Roman oppression. But what Jesus is coming to do is to be a humble king who is pierced and crushed for his people's sins as a sacrifice a Passover lamb who dies in their place for their sins and who replaces the temple as the cornerstone, the place where people go now to meet God and have their sins dealt with. Not just Israel, but the whole world. And so, let's move to some application. We, as the world, we need a Savior. From our sins. Remember I said there's a lot of suspense in our hearts globally right now as we, we look around and we wonder what's, what's going to go on in this world? I mean, wh what will the end of all this be? There's a lot of suspense, fearful suspense and hopeful suspense. Hope that our governments and doctors and economists will find a way through the current crisis. A lot of people are hoping for that. And when a crisis like this comes, when it happens, it really does make people feel weak and powerless. And so in these moments, you see all over the world, people are, are turning to their governments for salvation. And governments all over the world right now are, are expanding their power, extending their, their reach further and further commanding businesses to make materials necessary to fight the pandemic, printing money to, to try to save our economy. A big crisis like we're in 
calls for a mighty savior. But the reality is, no matter how mighty our governments get, and no matter how good our medical systems are, they cannot, in the end, save us from death. We are going to die. This is a reality the Bible says is coming for all of us, and history has shown that, there, that this is universal to human experience. And, and so, no matter how hard we try to stop the spread of this virus, and I believe we should try, and we should pray that God intervenes and gives us a cure, that he gives strength to the doctors and wisdom to our governments. We should be praying all these things. But no matter how hard we try to stop this virus and its spread, um, remember, our death is inevitable. This is a reality we, we are being forced to face as a world. And, and it's actually pretty wild how we are going through all these attempts to try to stop the spread of this virus. And, and regardless of how hard we try, it keeps spreading. Yeah, we may have slowed it some, but we have right now an unseen, invisible enemy that's, that's killing us. And at least up to this point, there's, there's a lot of people still who, who it doesn't seem like are, are taking it seriously. And, and that may be changing, but I can't help but see an analogy here between this and human sinfulness, okay? I think the Bible, the Bible itself, encourages this analogy by, by comparing sickness to sin. God's people are sick, Isaiah says over and over, and they're sick with, with sin, ultimately. And friends, remember how um, the Israelites, they thought Jesus was riding into town to save them from slavery to Rome. Okay, remember? And how they thought he was, he was really coming to deal with their, their physical problems. But ultimately, Jesus was coming to deal with sins that they were not taking seriously. And so my prayer through this crisis is that it would be a wake-up call, a siren from heaven, waking us all up to the, to the brevity of life, the reality that we, we could die anytime, and we, we really are not in control of that as much as we would like to think we are, and, and that death is truly inevitable, and that we would be waking up to the, to the reality that our governments are truly weak, and our medical systems are not um, invincible, they can be overwhelmed, and that we have an urgent necessity to get our hearts right with God immediately. And so my prayer is that we would, we would be crying out in this crisis, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who has come in the name of the Lord, King Jesus, to save us from ultimately our sins. Sin is a mighty global crisis. It's in every human heart. And we desperately, we need a savior from our sin. We've got to take the spread of sin seriously. If we take the spread of the virus seriously, let's take the spread of sin 10 times more seriously. Sin is everywhere and nobody's immune to it. We all have this virus. Pride, selfishness, lust, greed, nobody. We're not immune. And the spread is universal. It's in me. It's in you. And it leads ultimately to separation from God in a, in a terrible place that the Bible calls hell, a world where God is not king, and where we all do what we want. And it's a place of misery and judgment away from the presence of Lord and from the glory of his might. And you don't want to go there. And so we have an, an urgent necessity right now to turn to turn in this crisis to the Lord, to remember that as great as this crisis is, the crisis of an eternity apart from God is infinitely greater. And friends, if you know Jesus, and we do, if, we're, if you're, you're a Christian, we have hope. We have a king who defeated death. We have a savior who can deliver us from the spread of sin 
And we have Jesus, whose spirit, who can deliver us from slavery to sin. His sacrifice on the cross pays for sin's guilt. His spirit severs sin's power in our hearts. If only we turn to him in faith and cling to him for all our days. As the gospel writer John writes in his famous verse, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. That's life that goes on and lasts beyond the grave. The world right now desperately needs a Savior who can deliver from inevitable death. And Jesus is that mighty Savior. In Jerusalem long ago, Jesus, our Savior, our King, he beat death by his resurrection. And for everyone who trusts in him, he promises that one day we too will rise from our own graves. We're going to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus next Sunday. And so right now, again, as as you see uh, uh, people all around the world fighting against physical sickness and death, let's see these things as, as through the lens of the Bible as signposts pointing towards the even greater tragedies of sin and the second death that's coming separation from the Lord. And as we sing for joy, let's sing for joy as Christians that we have a Savior who has come to deal with all sin and sickness and disease by his death and resurrection. He will return again one day and all of this will be over. And so on that day, we will sing again, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes again in the name of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I pray that uh, even as we seek to take the spread of this virus seriously, Lord, that you would help each one of us to take the spread of sin seriously in our own hearts and that we would take our sin to Jesus for forgiveness and for cleansing and for healing. Father, I pray that you would help us as much as we work to, to keep people from physical death Lord, that we would seek to tell people about life beyond the grave and our hope that Jesus, the King, has promised us eternal life. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us as we seek to be lights for Jesus now in a world that's terrified of dying. I pray that we would, um, we would have no fear in the face of death because our King has defeated it by his resurrection. That's what Jesus came to do, to pay for sins and defeat death, our greatest enemies. And so I pray right now that you would comfort our hearts in the grace of Christ Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.